This is Teach Play Love. The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast, just for ages 0 to 8. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood expert, Education Vice President Rachel Robertson. And make the most out of every chance to teach, play, and love. Well, we've all felt it. Socializing has changed in the pandemic era. For some of us, and certainly many children, adapting to the change hasn't been easy. But there are ways to support your child so that they're still developing those all-important social-emotional skills, even while social distancing. Here are Rachel and Ruth to discuss. Hi, Ruth. Good morning. Hi, Rachel. How are you today? I'm good. I am... uh interested in this topic we're going to talk about today, social development, social connectedness, while we're all social distancing, because I'm finding it challenging and we've all had to think of new ways to connect. I mean, we're doing it right now. We're connecting with each other virtually, which is what we're left to do right now. But I think everyone's trying to figure out this social connecting while social distancing. You know, probably most of us didn't think this was going to last this long. It's incredible that it just keeps going and going and going. So, yeah, it's hard because none of us have really trained for this and nobody signed up for it. And yet here we are having to deal with this task of trying to figure out how to stay connected when we also have to try to stay apart. And we don't know. I think that's such an important point. Part of the issue is we don't know when this is going to end. When it felt like it was a month or two, then we thought, oh, that's fine. I'm fine to stay home. I'm sick of my busy calendar anyway. But now we're really feeling the lack of the connections. And We need to rely on what we know about social development and social connectedness to help us think of new ways, to think of new solutions, because this is going to last for a while and we need it as adults and we also need to help our children with it. And I think the hardest part is not knowing how much of an impact this is having on your children and not knowing what to do to mitigate. So you go from play dates, which you can't have right now, to everybody's home. And what's the middle ground? What's the way that we can be connected? I think one of the things that at Bright Horizons we've talked a lot about, and I know others have too, is we really need to stop thinking of it as social distancing and really focus on the physical distancing. We want to keep the social connections. We just have to do them differently, which is a, a challenge. But We're here to talk about it. We're here to share some ideas of how, as a society, we can all get through this and focus on what our kids need the most from us. So let's explore that topic together. Let's see what we can share with everyone. All right. So I think the first strategy maybe is to think about what will work for your family. What are we comfortable with, with socialization? What are the practices that we insist on with anyone else that's going to socialize with us and really have a discussion? If your kids are really young, the discussion's an adult discussion. But if your kids are older, it's really a family discussion about what are the parameters that we think are really important and where will we all be comfortable in our own space? And inevitably, your kids are going to know families that come up with different rules. Everybody just has different things going on. That happens all the time, right? I mean, my kids are older, your kids are older. How many times have we heard our kids say, well, so-and-so's parents let them do that? And that's going to happen now, too. 
Yeah, that's an age-old issue. But I think once you have that discussion and everyone kind of, yeah, we, we see the point of it. You know, the kids, the older kids are saying, yeah, I see it, I see it, I see it. But having that discussion and continuing to have that discussion is a good idea. This is the next new normal, not the permanent new normal, right? So we have to be able to change our mind, new information, whether it's new science or new things happening in our communities kids are going back to school, you might change your mind based on that. So it's okay and really probably necessary to have this conversation multiple times. Totally agree. And with all that flux, I mean, if we've gotten used to anything through all this, it's change is coming again. And so rehaving those conversations, really, really good idea. But Rachel, now having talked about that with just all of these changes going on and trying to figure out a plan, It is really true, right? That social and secure attachments are really vital, yeah? Yeah, I think that's an important point to stop and make here about attachments. And I'll I'll just give us a refresher on what attachments are in case you've forgotten or you haven't heard that phrase before. Because yes, children need social connections, very important to development, but they don't need a hundred social connections. It is truly quality. And in this time, when they don't have access to their friends in the same way, even though we know that you're busy and juggling a lot of things, if your intentional quality of time is really good with your children, then their social connectedness will be pretty good, even if they're not doing playdates and some of those other things. We're not going to stay here forever, so there will be time for them to do other social connections, and we'll have some ideas for that here too. But just so you know about attachments, this is one of the first things children have to do in early life is form a secure attachment with an adult. It's great if they have secondary or even more attachments with adults, but they need at least one. It's ideally a parent, usually a parent, usually both parents, but that's not always available for all children and that's okay. We talk about that children in our care and early care and education need one attachment, but we don't always know if they have a strong attachment to someone in their home. So we as teachers need to make sure that we are an attachment for those children as well. An attachment is similar to like home base and tag. If you're running around crazy and tag and you go to home base, you're, you're like, okay, I can take a minute here. I can breathe, I can reset. And that's what attachment is like. So children that have secure and strong attachments know they have a reliable, consistent adult they can count on to love them no matter what. And this then allows them to feel freer, to take risks, to go out in the world. Children with strong attachments are braver in the world. Of course, temperament comes into play, but they feel better about taking some slight risks. They have good social skills usually. They know how to or feel confident with themselves about engaging in social interactions. They're less needy or whiny because they know their needs are going to get met. So all sorts of good things with attachment, but really affects lifelong development and social confidence and concept. So start there. If you're not sure that your child has a consistent or reliable attachment with you, that's where you need to start. And getting that secure will be your most important task. Doesn't mean you're always on your A-game as a parent. Doesn't mean you never have a difficult moment with your child, but it does mean that they can rely on you to be relatively consistent emotionally and to love them even when they're at their worst. 
Yeah, that attachment is so important. And lots of families find that now that they hear that phrase, they go, oh yeah, we do that. And so that's a good thing. In those early childhood years, kids are really working on that social and emotional development. It's a big part of who they're trying to become. They're recognizing and learning about their emotions and how to control those emotions. They're starting to think about cooperative play as they get into the upper end of those early childhood years where they're building something together with blocks with a friend or something. And a really important task they have is kind of taking the perspective of others, seeing something from somebody else's point of view, and then fairness. What does fairness mean? So if we take some of those ideas, Rachel, can you give us some examples of what kids could be doing to help grow those things. So those are all really important lifelong skills and the development starts in early childhood. So this is great news for all of you listening because you don't have to have any sophisticated classroom setup or computer game or anything to work on these skills and start building a really strong foundation. I already said this, but I'll reinforce it, is modeling. You are showing them when you want to and when you don't want to, how to be effective socially and emotionally. So all modeling is great. And I always talk about when you're modeling, when you're intentionally modeling to narrate your thoughts, just say out loud, I am very frustrated right now. I think of what I can do to not be so frustrated and talk them through it. And that's how they'll learn through that modeling. You can also play emotions games. So kids, early childhood, this is a big thing. They're figuring out emotions. They actually can't feel the full range of emotions in the first couple of years. And those are developing as they get older. So they can't feel shame or embarrassment right away, but they start to develop those feelings. And as they get more complex feelings, they need help figuring out how to even name them. What is this I'm feeling? What do I do about this feeling? And then how do I control my responses to this feeling? That's a lifelong pursuit. So it starts in early childhood, but you can do things like play games with emotions. Guess what people, if you're out in the world, you're looking at people and you're guessing by their facial expressions, what kind of word or, or feeling they're having, name your emotions yourself. Or you could play some fun games where you match words of feelings to facial expressions. We have on our World at Home website, we have a game like that, but you can find those games or just make them with family members' pictures too. You can do something fun like that. And then be thoughtful about cooperative play, as Ruth mentioned, that takes them a while to get there. They don't always have to share. They don't always have to work together. And just if you just pay attention to how they're playing, you'll be able to tell how close they are to that. And you can ask them to do it for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever feels right to grow those skills. But imaginary play with objects and with others is very valuable in terms of lifelong development. So the creativity, the problem solving, the give and take, even if it's give and take with a stuffed animal, they're negotiating, they're taking on different roles and that perspective Ruth was talking about, it's really important. We always get questions about educational technology or electronic technology and these days even more so. So for this early childhood, Crowd. There's not a lot of value in educational technology, but interactive two-way, video camera, FaceTime kind of interaction, Zoom calls, those are great. And you can do all these games. You can ask a grandparent or a friend, someone else to do these kinds of games that way too, and it can be very valuable. 
And then the last one, always, just like we always talk about play and play being so important, so is learning through story. So you should not think of books as just something to read and get through, which I know we often think, especially when it's the 10th time we've read that book, just get me through this. But there's a lot of learning that happens through story if you use it well. So you can reflect on the characters. You can ask it questions about perspective. What do you think they're gonna do next? What do you think that character is feeling? And what do you think that character is feeling? They're in the same situation, but they might have different ideas and thoughts. They can learn a lot from that. And then the last one Ruth mentioned, I'll just touch on quickly is, kids have a really strong sense of fairness. We know this, right? They tell us all the time what is and isn't fair. And evolving that, helping them use that sense of fairness because they apply it to everyone. They don't just apply it to themselves, which is which is great. So using that sense of fairness to help them look at social situations, maybe take some action about something. Maybe they're thinking something's not fair in the neighborhood or they hear something about some kids don't have access to books or food or something. So they're not too young at four or five to get engaged in some of those fairness types of social justice types of activities. So they can learn a lot from that. My son and his wife who live far away from me have a seven month old daughter who's just starting to learn to eat solid foods. And so we have been FaceTiming with her while she's eating, while, especially while she's trying new foods. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun for me. But I think she's also seeing us and reacting to us. It's really, really been a fun way to uh, connect with her. That's a great example. It's not the same level of social connection, but it is a social connection. And so we shouldn't discount those opportunities. It can be really valuable in building the social skills and social development that children need in these early years and give parents a break from having to do it all the time. So. Great, that's a lovely example, and I'm glad you're getting that experience. Me too. All right, let's talk about a little bit older kids now, kids that are in elementary school. So they're really working on negotiating and probably connected to that fairness thing, still trying to figure out what's fair and how to negotiate and give and take a little bit as well. They work on impulse control, and boy, when they're in school, they probably really have to work on that. So how does that happen now? Social justice, you had started talking about, but that's a real big job for elementary school kids. And even more complex emotions, they just amplify through life. So let's talk about some examples of those jobs for school-aged children. Yeah, it's just next level, right? They have even more of the skills, cognitive and socially and emotionally that they need or capacities for those skills. So we just take their new evolving abilities and build on them to help them develop really strong social skills. If we think about impulse and regulation games, this helps kids with attention span and focus and something called executive function, which is the most sophisticated part of your brain. And it helps you make decisions and juggle lots of competing priorities, skills we need all the time in adult life. So classics like red light, green light, or Simon Says can really help with these skills and are really fun to do. So you use those stop, start, have to make a quick decision, have to make a quick movement, plus good for some physical activity during the day, which we all need to be doing more of. I've also seen lots of neighborhoods organizing safe distance games and challenges. Maybe some child takes a turn hiding things and then other children go find them or scavenger hunts or even across the street sidewalk 
Simon says, or yoga activities or making hopscotch for each other, things like that. So think about how you could do that with neighbor kids, neighbor families, or even your child could put a hopscotch out in front of your house and just watch people, anybody walking by participate in that. That's fun as well. And there's some give and take. And as I've done something for people, people will react to that. So helping kids give children time to negotiate and to do some give and take. So there's, as they get older, you want to give them some autonomy. And then there's a phrase called agency that we really are thinking about at this age where they start to develop this feeling of I am capable and I am able and I can take action. I can do something about that. So give them some opportunities to do that, even if it's in the house, solve some social problems. Maybe it's conflict with a sibling. What can we do about it? Bring them into the solution for it. Take that emotions game up a notch, maybe play emotions charades look at each other's faces, make expressions with each other, do more sophisticated games with it. Again, guessing what people out there in the world are thinking, or even if you're watching something together, a movie or a show, talk about the emotions, talk about perspective, talk about what the characters might be doing or feeling, and then use story, whether it's in a movie format or a book format, and try to come up with an alternative ending. What would happen if this were to happen? What if this character did this? That can really help them take on the perspective of someone else. That interactive technology is still the best for this age group. There's not a lot of need for educational technology. Everything they need for social skills can come through interaction with others. So whether it's through technology or it's in person, that's your best bet. And when we talk about social justice, we're thinking again still about being able to feel that sense of agency where they can solve problems that are important to them. One example I heard is a, a child saw a neighbor that had broken a foot and they were struggling to get up the stairs to their house. So that child and their family made a ramp. And so something like that is a great social activity. And those families never interacted during that time, but they were doing something that child was taking some autonomy and agency to do something for someone else. The other thing I'll say about technology that is really fun right now and is very interactive is things like virtual field trips. There's videos of astronauts reading to children from space. There's some pretty cool stuff out there and we have a lot of ideas on our World at Home website. So check that out if you're interested. A lot of them are interactive as well. Yeah, really fun. So another thing I think parents really need to hear, Rachel, is that taking care of yourself as a parent is really good parenting. So take some time for yourself, do good things. And modeling that self-care for your kids is also really, really valuable. So take time. Here's my big suggestion, parents, caregivers. Take time for yourself. Take time for your whatever normal routines you still have left. If that quiet morning cup of coffee is what gets your day revved up, relish it. Take every moment of that. Find time to exercise. And maybe you do it alone. Maybe you do it with your kids. But that exercising, just going for a walk is really, really great. Maybe creative time is what fuels you. So doing that. But just taking time to do things that really refuel you that is really good parenting can't parent yeah. without it we can't emphasize that enough i know parents need to hear that so please hear that from ruth and have fun and laugh with your kids that is more important right now than anything else so 
I know that they need to keep up with school. I know that you have a lot of competing priorities. I'm living it and I understand it. None of it is more important than keeping those positive social interactions going in your home and showing them that that's important. It's a coping, it's a mental health, it's social connections, it's all the things that you want is to have just joyous, positive social relationships with your children right now and make sure they have a lot of those in their lives. The relationship is the most important thing and we know from research that is the thing that gets everybody through a crisis the best. So I'll end with a reinforcement of the importance of attachment with a quote saying, every child deserves to hear, I will always love you. And every child must know this love is given no matter what. That quote is a perfect way to end today's conversation because as Rachel and Ruth have stressed, attachment and unconditional love will help your child with the challenges of social distancing and in some cases, isolation. After all, you are your child's home base and the base for learning those social emotional skills. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us and find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love and rediscover parenting as a joy it was meant to be.